So we finished pretty much, I think, all of the photographs in the Great Jewish Photographs book. So I figured that for this Zman, uh, we would uh, study a little bit my newest book, which is Great Jewish Faith. Uh, it's a book that came out Hanukkah time, and um, it's basically lessons in Emun and Bitachin, and quotes of G'day Yisrael about it. Um, and it's set on beautiful photographs, and uh, it's very, uh, you know, it's nice a photograph with the, uh, the quote over it, and then a picture of the Gadol, and a little bit of a commentary on the, um, on the, on the concept. And so I wanted to take, like, um, like essential lessons of Amunah Bitochen and bring them to life, like, in a very real way. That was the concept of the book, and Baruch Hashem, uh, I think, I think, Bliyayin Har came out very nicely, and, and I'm sorry. Go ahead. How many, how, how many books are in this? I know there's also great Jewish wisdom or great Jewish sayings, right? Yeah, so I have, I think this was the tenth book in oh, this wow. series, or either the ninth or the tenth, I'm not I even just sure. I was in uh, Judaica Plus, and I saw the, you know, the books in the Yeah. In the back, I put, what what's called like a Hashgacha practice journal, mm-hmm. uh, which is if you have any personal experiences of Hashgacha that you saw divine providence in something big or small, that you should keep a journal. That's what the G'dayli Yisrael or, or Meisha Feinstein or Rebecca Kamenetsky wrote a letter, which I quote over here, um, about the need for keeping a diary of Hashgacha practice because otherwise you tend to forget um, you tend to forget the, um, you know, if you ever went through something, say, wow, you know, I see the Yad Hashem in that. What happens very often is that then we, a few minutes later, we forget the whole story and we don't see the Yad Hashem anymore. So I made a, a journal in the back of the book to, for people to document and chronicle their Ashgachah practice. Okay, so we're just going to, like, randomly... Um, you know, go through pieces like we did last Zman with, uh, with the photographs, um, try to find some good, timely uh, pieces. Okay. All right, this is a good place to start. So, Rav Shach, I think everybody should be familiar with Rav Shach. He is the Rosh Hashiva of Panovich Hashiva in Bnei Brak. He was over 100 years old when he was Nifter, uh, a great Jewish leader, a huge Talmud Chacham, a Talmud of the, the Briskarov. And he once, uh, he writes in one of his svarims, he has a sefer uh, on the Rambam called Avi Ezri. It's not a Hashkafa sefer, it's a real halacha, like a Brisker style, Lamdisha sefer. But I found once that in, in the halachas of um, I believe it's Hilchas Avedizara. So the Rambam, I mean, he, the Rambam there um, describes the mitzvah as emuna that you have a mitzvah of believing in Hashem. You have to believe in Hashem, which implies that belief is it's a leap of faith, doesn't right? I mean, if I say I believe in, uh, I believe, I believe the Yankees might win the World Series or something like that, you know. It's not, I don't, it's not something that is, that you know, it's something you believe. So when a person says, I believe that there's a God in the world, it's, it doesn't sound like you have real positive proof of it, but it's all subject to belief, and belief is like, okay, that's one man's opinion, 
just like you believe it, I have the right not to believe it, and uh, we're, we can be friends, and, and which we can, and, uh, and that's it. But the word belief, emuna, emunas, that you have emuna and Hashem, emuna, which is what the Rambam, how the Rambam describes it, implies that it's, uh, it's not obvious. It's something that you need a leap of faith to believe in Hashem. Lahamin ba Hashem. Sheyamin ba Hashem, I think, is the Lashon of the Rambam. So Rav Shach says, I have long wondered why the mitzvah is called emuna, faith. Faith? Is it not patently obvious that if there is a world, there must be a creator? What Rav Shach is really asking is that, how do you call it emuna? Emuna is like, okay, I believe. I believe in God. It's like you're doing God a favor by believing in him. You don't really have proof, so you jump off, uh, you know, you jump into like the world of Never Never Land and you believe in God. To Rav Shach, Rav Shach was so, saw God so clearly in everything that it was very hard to understand why the mitzvah would be called emuna and not yidiya. It should say that you should, be, you should know that there's a God in the world, that the mitzvah is to know and to affirm that there's a God, not to believe. Believe sounds like it's very flimsy. Okay, that's the question. Now, obviously, you might not understand the question to the fullest extent, because maybe our amuna is a little bit not yidiya, it's more amuna. It's like more, okay, I believe. Do I know for a fact that I ever see God myself? No, so I'll, I'll take everybody's word for it, but I, I, it's ultimately a belief system. But to Rav Shach, Rav Shach felt that it's so obvious that there's a God in the world that it's, the mitzvah has to be to know that there's a God. And, by, and I think the Rambam in, in Sefer Mitzvahs does call it leda, but to call it emuna is a little, and to call the whole mitzvah for that matter emuna, I believe, faith. Faith means, you know, you have faith that the traffic light is, uh, you know, not going to steer you the wrong way, that it, when it turns green on my side, it's going to be red on the other side, which is not so pasher, right? Because, but we, there are glitches that happen all the time. But I have faith that it's not going to happen. You have faith that there's a God in the world that implies that, well, I don't know, nobody really knows, but I believe, I'll, I'll, give, I'll, I'll throw God a bone, as it were, and I'll believe. Anyone have any answers to this question? Why, why would the Rambam call, why is the mitzvah called emuna and not yidiya? It should be, it should be that. I know, I, I know there's a God in the world. I, you know, the fact that, I could walk and I could talk and that the galaxies exist and, you know, everything is created so perfectly, that should be proof positive that there's a God in the world. Proof of that, right? What? Without proof of that. But in, in a sense, the way Rav Shach saw the world is that that is proof. Meaning, obviously, if you're expecting God to, to appear to you and tell you that, you know, that he exists and he made the world, that, that is not going to happen. But you could sort of detect God's fingerprints in the world if you look really carefully. Like last semester, if you remember, we saw a video with Victor Miller about the apple. He was speaking about, you know, the miracle of the apple and how in the seeds of the apple has uh, thousands and thousands of pages of information about how to not only... Uh, make an apple tree, but also how to produce a factory to produce an apple tree, all from that little seed. 
And who could do that? Who has the ability? Well, you think that just happened randomly? It's just like Big Bang, you know, Darwin, every explosions and evolution and just random events taking place in a, in, in a, in a random way and, this, and it produces a world of such perfection? Very hard to really buy into that unless you're, you don't want to believe in God. Obviously, if you're, not, if you're looking to avoid God, then you have Darwin to catch you. But... We said last year that even Darwin had his misgivings about his theory. He said that the human eye keeps me up at night. Meaning, how does the human eye, the human eye was formed by random things. There's a million billion neurons in, you know, in the back of the eye connecting with the, the perfect wiring to the brain. So the, the brain tells you to look somewhere and you look somewhere. The, the eye sends back a message to the brain. You know, it's... It's not, this is not normal stuff. This is not something that could happen in any way, in a random way. Just like, you know, if I told you this desk was built by itself, by, by pieces of lumber just flying into each other, and it's impossible. I mean, it, you know, so it is the idea. It, to, know, to, to understand God's existence should really be categorized as idea, as knowledge of God. I should know that there is a God, not just I should believe in God. This is, this is Rav Shah's question. Do they believe in God so much that, you know, if they say, you know, like they say, um, one, one of these stories with the um, Alter Nebarbic, and whether it's true or not, I don't know, but they don't say these stories, but I mean, you know, you know that, you know, as soon as he would like go alone and, and, and learn in a, in a cabin in the woods by himself, and then when his candle ran out, run out, he would just reach out his hand outside and someone would give him a candle, you know, mm-hmm. because he had absolute Muna. And mm-hmm. whether that's true or not, I don't know, but the point is, is that they, he was on a level in the way where that could have happened. It definitely is a spectrum, but 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 if the spectrum is one which starts out with you know a question mark and ends with a question mark, then that would be a muna. But it, at least to, again, I think it speaks more. The question speaks more about the greatness of Shach than you know than anything else. Like it's telling you where Rav Shach's perspective was. And Rav Shach used to speak about that. If you'd ask Rav Miller, is it a leap of faith to believe in God? He would give you a, you know, hundred hour speech about how it was, it's absolutely not a leap of faith. That he could prove it from the human eye, from the apple, from the, from a caterpillar, from everything is like, it's undeniably God. Does it relate to free will? I mean, did Hashem cloud our judgment so that we don't we don't see it always as idea. Okay. So he says, so he writes in a sefer like this. He says that he asked this question to his rabbi, the Briskarov, and the Briskarov said that he had the same exact question and he asked it to his father, meaning to the Briskarov. The Briskarov asked it to his own father. Who is, his, who is Briskarov's father? Reb Chaim Salvechik, the great... Beis No, the, the Beis Levi's son. Oh, oh, so it's yeah. Beis Halevi, Reb Chaim, the Briskarov, Reb Tzakzev, and uh, and then yeah, so the, so then it branches out. But so he asked. So this is already like a question that he has a messiah for. He said, "I had this question. I went to my Rebbe, the Briskarov. The Briskarov said, I had the same question. I went to my father, Reb Chaim. Okay, so what did Reb Chaim say? What's the answer? So this is what he said. 
Reb Chaim explained that yes, to the degree that the human mind can comprehend God's greatness, the mitzvah is to know Hashem. The mitzvah of faith, however, begins where our understanding ends beyond the scope of human comprehension. Which means like this, the things that I, I could see with my own eyes and I could understand, I could wrap my brain around, like the things we talked about until now, whether it's an apple, it's the human eye, whether it's, uh, you know, hashkacha pratis, the things that we see with our own eyes, that is considered to be yidiyah. That's not emuna. that's yidiyah. If I understand that the apple or the moon, or the sun, is that it's situated in such a way that it's 93 million miles away from the earth. If we'd be closer, we'd burn up. If we'd be a little further away, we'd, we'd freeze to death. And all these perfections in the Bria, the fact that people could see, you know, there's so many questions on evolution, but like one of the major questions on evolution is that if it's really, if Darwin was right, and like everything is a work in progress, really, people are evolving, um, so then, and, and survival of the fittest, that means that the things that didn't work out so well sort of die out or they get swallowed up by things that did. So, like, why wouldn't you see, like, deformed creatures, like, roaming the universe? Like, not, is, why is every, everything is perfect? No, like, you don't find creatures that have, like, a, you know, that have only one eye or whatever. If it's really an evolving process, then you should, you should find some imperfection in the Bria, but you don't. Everything seems to be running perfectly. Ants could see and, and flies can see and, and amoebas, you know, like there, there are things that everything seems perfect. So unless you say that eventually everything just worked itself out, it's a very hard sell. It's a very, very hard sell. So the things that we could see with our own eyes, says Reb Chaim, that's not Amuna, that's idea. We have to know that there's a God on the base of what we see. But then there are things that are beyond the human comprehension. We don't understand everything. There's a lot of things about, as much as we think we know about God, there's so much more that we have no clue about God, about what, you know, what, what preceded the world, what happens up, up in Shemayim, and what, uh, you know, why sometimes good people have it bad and bad people have it good. And there's a lot of things that we cannot understand just by understanding it. There's things that are beyond the realm of the human mind. The human mind can't comprehend it so well. But yet we have to always still have faith in Hashem. That is where Amuna kicks in. So Amuna is like beyond the scope of human comprehension. As much as we can understand, that's called the idea. That's the mitzvah of knowing that Hashem exists. If I could prove it to myself and to you, I know that Hashem exists. That's the mystery of Yudhiya. But then there's a lot of stuff in the world that we don't understand. We don't understand why tragedies happen. And we don't understand uh, why Hashem created everything in the Bria and why and, and for what purpose and, and, and how it happened and how Hashem did everything. Yesh man, what does that mean, Yesh man? There's a lot of things we don't understand. That's Amunah. Anything that we don't Understand that's above our pay grade. That's called amuna. That's the mitzvah amuna. Everything that's been that is within our pay grade. That's that's yidia. And the Rambam uses both terminologies. It's not like Rav Shach isn't saying there is a mitzvah. Yidiyah. The Rambam says that sometimes he uses says lashon is lahamin or sheyamin sheish Hashem, and then sometimes it says sheyeda sheish Hashem. And it all depends, you know, under what what circumstances we're talking about. Okay, let's see another. Another beautiful foundational piece. Okay, here's a good one. This is from the Ibn Ezra. Ibn Ezra was one of the uh, 
the great Rishayim that wrote a commentary on Chumash, right? They have an Ezra. So he says like this, I found a really cool picture of a house, of a mansion with like a fancy gate in front of it. And he says, well, let's start a little backwards. We know one of the Ten Commandments is Leisachmed. You're not allowed to be jealous of your friend's property, of, your, of his wife, of his cow, of his, uh, of his house, of anything that, that your friend has, you should not be jealous of. Does anyone have a problem, a question on that mitzvah? A little bit. Okay, but if you, if you are jealous, like, it's a feeling. Yeah. You can't tell me not to be jealous. You can't govern my emotions. You can tell me, don't eat pig. You can tell me, you know, don't speak Lashon Hara, because that's something that, that's something that's a physical instruction for a physical human being. You can't eat matzah on pezel, check. You know, uh, drink dalakaisis. That's not a derez, but check. Um, you know, we, daven every day. Fine, I could do these things. But let's say you tell me if somebody punches you in your face, don't get angry. I, I'm going to get angry if somebody punches me in my face. I'm gonna, don't tell me don't get angry. I'm, a, I'm an emotional person. I'm wired to be angry in such a case. And I'm going to get angry. If you embarrass me in public, don't, don't, don't be embarrassed. I'm, I am embarrassed. You embarrassed me. So why, how could I not be embarrassed? So the Torah is saying, you're, you see something on Instagram and you see a friend just pulled, got, bought himself a brand new uh, uh, Lambo. Don't lay sachma. Don't be jealous of him. Too late. I'm jealous. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you know, chatasi is right. Guilty as charged. I'm, a, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. So the Torah is saying, lay sachma. Don't be jealous. How can you govern that? How does, it, how does the Torah expect you to, to, you know, to just be able to just turn on and off my emotions if, like, I'm a, I'm a robot. I'm not a robot. I'm a human being. I always, this was something that always bothered me, but I, I asked my father, and he, he explained to me, like, it, it doesn't, really. It, it expects you not to act on your... You, you can't... You know, you might covet, but you can stop yourself from acting on, on being jealous. Like, you can stop yourself from saying, hey, that's a nice car, how much? That's true, but, but it seems like it's a deeper thing. The Torah is saying, don't even let it start. But you're right. I mean, there are definitely things. I'm sorry, I didn't mean yeah, to. Yeah. Um, can we uh, be jealous, like, um, um, about knowledge of others? That's for sure. That's some, that's a good type of jealousy. Yes. Right. So that the, there's a pasuk that says kinas seifrim tarbe chachma. That the more you're jealous of other people's learning, you're getting, the more smart you're going to be. If you see your friend is like in the base medish until twelve o'clock at night or one o'clock in the morning. You say, well, I really want, I wish I could be that way. And you, and you follow suit. That's a beautiful thing. That's a good, as long as it's a healthy, yeah. you know, you're not like getting crazy about it. You don't want to like kill the guy. Um, you know, then it's okay. But that's the, this is the famous question of the Ibn Ezra. How is it possible to tell me to, to, to handle my emotions, to suppress my emotions? Like, how do you do that? How do you tell me? To fight, you mean to, to right? So okay, so what would you fight with? How would you how would you work on 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 evicting that feeling from your heart? That's really, I guess, what the Ebenezer wants to know. Like, how do you how do you get rid of that? If I'm if I'm a jealous person, maybe you're not a jealous person. But if I'm a jealous person, and every time I see somebody, you know, has a new suit, a new tie, a new hat, a new uh, a new car, a new bicycle, a new e-scooter, I get jealous. How, what would you tell me as advice to not be jealous? Maybe, right, be jealous, like, uh, try to, to, 
understand that under, understand that like he get that that he get the thing that he proposed and if you want to propose to get that thing you can do it. Okay, that's that's interesting. Meaning, he worked hard. He got a job. He he earned money to get that Lambo. Uh, you know, do the same thing. If you want to do it, do it. That's 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 it's you know it's a free country. Do whatever you want. And you, you could get it too. Okay, fine. This is what I'm going to tell you now. What the Ebenezer says. Uh, you know, you you might not um, agree with it, but this is what he says. He says, if let's say. I'm a farmer working out in the field. I'm making minimum wage. I'm, you know, and I read a newspaper about how, I, I read a newspaper as a farmer about how in England there is a princess, okay, and she is someday going to take over the whole royal family. She's beautiful and she's, she, she's a billionaire and she has everything. Alan right? And I say to myself, you know, I'm a single guy. You know, she's a single girl. Like, maybe I could find somebody to make the shidduch. You know, it's a great idea, right? Find the, find the you, know, you know, princess from England. Would anyone, would any normal farmer think that way? No. Why not? It's just not, it's not happening, right? It's a different, completely different league. It's not, you're not going to, you know, you want somebody, find, go to a, the local, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, you know, a square dance, uh, you know, thing, and uh, you find somebody there. You, you, the queen, of, the princess of England, is not. Trust me, she's not going to find a, a guy, you know, from Tennessee that has a farm. That it's just not going to happen in, in a zillion years. Will not have. He's the last guy on planet Earth. She's not marrying him, and because of that, he's not going to be covetous of her. He's not going to be jealous or like thinking about how am I going to marry her. So the Ebenezer says that the truth is that that is the, the, the relationship that I have to my friend's Lambo or to my friend's uh, whatever it is that my friend had, my friend's wife, my friend's uh, uh, house or whatever. I, it's not shayach to me. It's not, it's, not in, it's not in my league. Not because I'm not as hard a worker as he is or because you know, he has better connections and I can't. no. Hashem gives everything that a person has to that person to fulfill his mission in life and to that person alone. It wasn't an accident that he happened to have a Lambo and that he happened to marry that woman and that he happened to have these kids and that he happened to live in that house. Hashem wanted all those things for that person. If you would come, come, come back as a Gilgal a hundred times, you were not destined to have that thing. You have your things, he has his things. And that's the way the universe is, is created. The problem is that we think that because we sit in a classroom next to each other, or we're in the same base medrash, or we're diving in the same shul, so, you know, if he has it, I should be able to have it. But let's say, a, a really better example is if let's say we're all planets, and you're, you know, you're Pluto, and I'm Jupiter, and he's Mars, and he's, you know, and, and we have nothing to do with each other. We happen to be in the same room, but as far as what we own and what we have, what Hashem gave us, it is absolute, what you have is absolutely nothing to do with me. And what I have has nothing to do with you. So if you're going to spend your whole life looking at Instagram, which is a terrible thing, by the way, and we've spoken about this many times, the worst thing in life, I believe, on the internet is Instagram. Because Instagram, what it really is, it's a steady diet of jealousy. You're just, in, you're, you're just 
you know, you're just looking at other people, what they're driving, what they're, you know, Facebook used to be the Instagram, but... Let's have status Maybe also. even, like, if, I, if I like cars, I can look cars on Instagram. Like, because I look, I like cars. Right, right, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's true. But you, I think other stuff come on your feed also, no? You could, you could limit it, mom, to just cars. It's then you're going to see a car plus the girl that's driving the car, you know, and then you're going to see a car plus the guy's house in the background or where he's, where he took a vacation to drive his car. Whatever, there's, you'll, it's just feeding the mind jealousy. You're just like, you know, and the eye can't take in so much. And you're just like, wow, I want to go there. I want to see this. I want to have that. I want to do that. And, and it never ends. And the truth is that it's a very, that's a very dangerous thing. The Torah is saying, don't be jealous of some, what, else, what other people have. Not because you can't do it too. Maybe you can do it too. But it's, it's just a very, very um, twisted thing to be jealous of somebody else because it, it sort of takes God out of the equation. You're assuming that there's no God and therefore it's survival. I could take something away from you. You have a wife, no problem. I'll take her away from you and now it's my wife. You have a car, I could take that car away from you, and now it's my car. You have a painting that I like, a Rembrandt that nobody else has in the world. See, the case of the car might not be Leisachmed. I once heard from a very big rav, rav that, you know, what is Leisachmed? Let's, like you said, let's say my friend pulls in into his drive with a new Mercedes, okay? So I can go to the showroom and get, get the same model Mercedes. I'm not over Leisachmed. That's not. Leisachmed is, is when I want to get what you have away from you. You know, you have, you're, you're, you're married to a woman, I want to get your wife away from you. I want to get your, you have a cer- certain painting that's, let's say, a very rare painting, nobody else in the world has it, I want that painting. You have like, you know, a certain, uh, I don't know, comic book collection of rare Batman, com- I want to get that from you. It's not just that I could go to the store, oh, you, you, got, you just got yourself a Coke, I'm jealousy, I'm going to go, go to the store and get your own Coke. That's not jealousy. Jealousy is when I want, I don't want you to have it. It's not so much that I want it, Maybe I want, I want to take it away from you. I, it, it bothers me that you should have something. I want it. I want to take it from you. That's really a better definition of Leisachman. And that's, that's really a sickness that a person has because he's thinking that, oh, you know, you have it, but I could have it. You know, what you have, I'll just give you enough money for it or whatever, and I'll get it from you. But Hashem wanted you to have what you have. Whatever you have is not random. If I have this book and this phone and this desk... That means Hashem wanted me to have this book, this phone, and this desk. If he didn't want me to have it, then you would have it. He would have given it to you. If he didn't give it to you, it means that he wanted me to have it. And you have to be very careful in life because a lot of times there is that crossover. Like there's a time, like, let's say you're living in a house and I want to buy a house on your block. Am I allowed to go over to you and say, you know, I really, your house looks like a nice house. Do you mind if I make you an offer on it? Is that like Sachmed? Why not? Right, you're trying to buy. I mean, that's 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 called uh, capitalism, right? I'm allowed to. If you're 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 driving a nice car, I can make you an offer on your car. You might, if I give you enough money, you might be willing. So that's fine. The leisachman is really when you don't want to. I I, I I make you an offer in your house. You say no, I'm happy, and then like you don't stop. Like you send people to me, you know, threatening me or giving me like crazy offers and like never, you know, pushing me, pressuring me, giving me, you know. That's Leisachma. Leisachma means like I'm really trying to like in a really warped way get something that's yours away from you. And the reason why that is so wrong, says the Amenezer, and the reason why the Torah feels very comfortable in commanding us to not do this 
is because we, as Jews, should believe in God, and we should believe that God gives out, allocates everything that each person has to each person. By me trying to take something away from you, that's like the farmer trying to marry that. It's impossible. It's not, it's not just like that, that princess, the farmer, is out of his league, and he wouldn't even start to be jealous of getting her. He wouldn't, the mind doesn't start. So I should look at everybody like you're out of my league. Everything is out of my league. Whatever I'm supposed to have, Hashem gave me, and he will give me. If you have it, that's yours. It's not, it's not mine. Hashem gave it to you to accomplish your mission with, but it doesn't have anything to do with mine. So for me to go and try to get that thing away from you is not just, it's just, it's not just a base jealousy. It's also going against the entire belief in Hashem and that Hashem does everything exact. Because I'm sorry, Hashem must have made a mistake. He gave him his, that girl. I, I, I really wish I would have married this girl. So I'm going to try to you know, talk, talk her out of being mar- staying married. That's, what are you doing? You're, that, you, what you're basically saying is God doesn't know what he's doing. I know better and I want to act on that. No, that girl is out of your league. That, that car is out of your That's not yours. Hashem did not want you to have that, that, that thing. And so this is a very, very important thing that do not covet the possession of others, says Evan Ezra. Hashem provides everyone with exactly what they need to have in life. Everything that he has is his. And everything I have is mine. And I shouldn't try to get um, anything away from anyone else because that is, um, that is uh, that, that's something that goes against our belief system in Hashem. And you should be able to rein in with un- this understanding any feelings of jealousy.